This is Harley Stroh, and when I'm not stealing ideas from Doug Kovacs, I'm stealing them from the Any Award-winning podcast, Spellburn. Art, Almighty One, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Spellburn, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. Greetings, listeners. We're back from our post-Gen Con break, and we are still reeling from having won the Silver Any for Best Podcast. While the nominated podcasts are selected by committee, the winners are chosen by the people. Knowing that, we are honored and humbled that our listeners turned out in large enough numbers to secure the Silver Any for Spellburn. We dedicate this award to you. This week, our episode is on the Appendix H. H for horror films. Horror films have been inspiring fantasy role-playing from its inception. It is widely believed that the cleric class's main inspiration was Peter Cushing as Dr. Van Helsing, and that the magic missile spell came from the 1963 movie The Raven. Today, we will focus on content creation and share ideas we have from some of our favorite horror films. I'm Judge Jeff, and with me are Judge Jen. Hey, guys. Judge Julian. Hello there. And our special guest this week, here to help serve up some horror realness, is the MCC and DCC enthusiast and major horror geek, Judge Mike Bolum. Hello. But before we dive into all of this horror goodness, let's head on over to Tavern Talk. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give her a drink of your most expensive. Tavern Talk. Welcome to Tavern Talk. This is the segment where we chat about our recent gaming. And guys, I propose this week maybe we quickly recap our Gen Con experiences and maybe discuss some quick highlights of any gaming we've had since then. Uh, Jen, would you like to start? (laughs) Of course you start with me. (laughs) Uh, Gen Con, that was so very, very long ago, wasn't it? Um, Well, you've already touched on the Ennies, which was a very emotionally charged night. And, you know, not going to lie, pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Um. My list is pretty short. I only played one game, and that was a playtest that Mark Bruner was running, and it was extremely nerve-wracking to be caught without my dice while sitting next to Joseph Goodman. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I got to run some Rat Snake and expose some more people to the love that is the Lankmar dice game, and I passed out my first printing tome and had people sign that like it was a yearbook. And then uh, stepped a little out of my normal comfort zone. Oh, we stayed at the Embassy Suites downstairs probably till about one thirty or 2, and then walked a, a couple of girls home. Joan Troyer and Sarah Brown made it out for their first convention ever, and were on the DCC team, which was awesome. And it turned out that we had six women there. Wow. That, that judged DCC. And Doug Kovacs corrected me and said there were eight, but I don't have their names in front of me. And he didn't shove them in front of me at the time. So they didn't get to make it into our initial photo. But uh, we had Joan, Sarah, Val Emerson, myself, Haley Sketch, and Evie Walls. And I believe that was... Uh, 
tentatively titled The Order of Shanna. So mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of throwing down the gauntlet and we want to try to, you know, maybe quadruple those numbers by next year at Gen Con. Heck yeah. Well, on our way home, we stopped by, we stopped in Ohio for a couple of nights and went to Carillon Park, which was hugely inspirational for writing and everything, and had lunch with Jim Wampler on the way home. And then, uh, geez, we weren't home for two weeks before we had to turn around and evacuate. So there wasn't a whole lot of gaming going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got to hop into a game last night, and we're going again tomorrow, which will be nice to kind of get back in, into the normalcy. I, I will have it known that the first printing book and my my beta copy of DCC and MCC came with me in the evac bag, <laughs> as did the brand new Swordfish Island product. So I, I got to read a little bit while we were out on this forced vacation, but not a whole lot of gaming, unfortunately. Although... um. Dan Steves came out to see us, which was really cool because he was actually in Nashville, even though he lives in Washington State. So we did get a little bit of DCC exposure while we were out of town for that. Nice. And it's tomorrow night AD&D or is that DCC? Uh, AD&D was last night. Tomorrow night is actually Rogue Trader. Oh. We're kind of rotating our Psy Fridays between that, Metamorphosis Alpha, and Star Wars. Nice. I've never played Rogue Trader. I'm a huge fan of Dark Heresy, but this is a close second. Cool. Yeah, I've played Dark Heresy uh, a little bit. Um, the uh, the lore is a little challenging. You have to be a, a Warhammer expert, I think, uh, or have some Warhammer experts at the table to, to help guide you through. <laughs> yes, yes. Our, our GM is an encyclopedic volume of lore. Wow. So <laughs> he helps us out whenever we're about to make some crucial mistake or something very cool but yeah I, th- I think that sums up the last month hey five minutes flat let's go next <laughs> <laughs> how about you julian while you guys were out sucking up all the accolades and all the awards <laughs> there i was slaving away at teagle manor in the <laughs> oh you loved every minute of it <laughs> i did I, I ran uh, four games at Gen Con, and I did run, I did uh, love every minute of it. Uh, but that Teagle Manor game, just by coincidence, was uh, especially fun. It was super crazy. I'm and I'm sorry, I don't, I didn't dig out their names, but um, it was a family of seven, sort of extended family, uh, three adults and four kids, and they were hysterical. Um, they were just a ton of fun. And I gave at least a few of them my cards, so I hope some of them eventually listen to this. And if so, how you doing? Hello. But um, they were just really, um, really fun. And I always tell people when I run Teagle Manor, you know, it, it, it will never run out of manor and other stuff below the manor. So, you know, you, we'll, we can play as late as you want. And we went to like, you know, 2 a.m. Oh, geez. And the kids were like, Dad! We don't want to stop now. And then it's like, well, we've got True Dungeon at 8 in the morning, and, you know, it's time to go to bed, kids. <laughs> so it was it was really fun. They, the kids were just hysteric. They were awesome, off the hook, super creative, and super engaged and into it. And it was... Uh, it was Anyway, That we just had a blast with that. I ran a couple Nowhere City games that were great. Uh, third playtest of uh, something I'm putting out, hopefully in a month or two here. And then... My Cunning Crown of Magilscar, which was truly an epic um, disaster for the players, which is how I like it. Um, 
<laughs> so that that turned out pretty fun, and um, I got to play in uh, Harley's uh, the heist game, which uh, was really fun, and I'd never uh, played in a game with Harley jamming before, so. That was just a treat on a lot of different levels. The players in that game were hist- also just really fun. We devised oh, that's a thing. Right. You weren't in that game at Gary Con, were you? No, you guys were in it, and I was watching you across the room jealously that whole time. <laughs> that's why. Okay. Wow. So we we so we snuck it. Spoiler alert: We snuck into the party with our guys in a horse costume. <laughs> Of and course you, anyway, you did. <laughs> yeah, you can just imagine how that went from there. So anyway, I think that sums it pretty much up. I had a blast. I'm trying to think, did I play in one other game? Anyway, um, I had a, we had a terrific time, and Gen Con is a lot of fun. And kudos to um, John Hirschberger and the team. I think Valerie helped him out a lot, who uh, organized all the DCC events and kept us on track. I uh, ran really smooth. Uh, so give them a lot of credit. Uh, plus, we had a giant tournament, gong. I mean, anyway. There was a little too much awesome in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No gaming since then, so that's uh, that's it for me. Nice. How about you, Mike? Well, Gen Con, I, I ran five games. Um, two for the DCC Open Tournament, um, and I was the pushover round one judge that both teams I ran for ran right over me. Um, but uh, one made it to the finals, the other, uh, but did not win, and the other did not quite make it to the finals. But uh, yeah, I got I got stomped on by those guys. Um, that was a great experience. It was trying to play Dungeon Crawl Classics, sort of going against everything that you know about Dungeon Crawl Classics, where yeah, let's just make this up on the fly. I'm not really sure what you're supposed to do here, because there's no rules for it. Well, in the tournament, you kind of have to know the rules. So uh, that part was a little intimidating, but uh, we tried to codify some stuff ahead of time, and I think it worked out. Uh, I think it was fairly successful. Um, so I had enough fun that I'd be willing to try it again um, next year, but I was joking that they should do some kind of uh, fundraiser where I you can pay an extra $500 or something if you can have me for your first round judge. Um, <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. I, I also ran uh, Mutant Crawl Classics, uh, my second level adventure of Mice and Manimals, which I've run at a few conventions now. Um, where And I played in that at GaryCon, and it's a really great adventure. Yeah, it's a mm. little bit of a hex crawl and a little bit of decide which bad guys are the worst guys and you're going to team up <laughs> with and try to take out. Um, I, I did a Lankmar Madhouse meet. and Yay! Um, that was great. Um, they, they had a, uh, misfire right off the bat on, oh, on, I think in large, um, Ooh. and it shrunk everything in a hundred foot radius down to, uh, inches from feet. Um, and so That's uncomfortable and it was great. Cause when they got to the giant room or the room where, where all the dead bodies are spoilers, um, mm-hmm. that was just on the other side of a hundred feet. I decided. So there were 60 foot tall. Uh, corpses in that room to their perspective. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good time. Um, 
those guys are great. And I did an X crawl, uh, Louisiana Rising. Um, so that was my first time trying X crawl in public and it went great. Uh, I had so much fun that I am planning on running more X crawl, uh, DCC X crawl at Gary Con, probably, uh, Gen Con again next year. So, yay! Nice. And then since then, the, Last week would have, uh, well, I have an ongoing, uh, two ongoing games at my house. I'm not running either of them. One's a Labyrinth Lord campaign that's been going for six years now. Um, and we're in the middle of the Drow City, um, in D2. Um, I can't remember the full name of that title now, but, uh, <laughs> in that giant demon web pits, uh, we just kind of hit the drow city that's been I, going. I did the, uh, and this past week was our DCC game, which, um, the entire party was executed, uh, for deicide. <laughs> um, so, uh, we decided we were going to, uh, fly our spaceship in our DCC game into a beast the size of eight planets that travels around the universe and eats planets and, uh, kill it from the inside, which we succeeded in. Um, but unfortunately, that was considered deicide and the entire party was executed. Um, <laughs> so we're not sure what's going to happen with that campaign. We may be picking up with some new characters, but, uh, the dead stamp went around the table the whole way so um nice and uh there was no combat it was all just us trying to uh convince uh the judges uh at the at the event uh that we shouldn't be executed and we only had satan um and uh cesar khan on our side um the rest (laughs) of them did not uh, appreciate us uh destroying what they considered a god um and i've done a couple of that'd be a problem (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i've done a couple road crew games um we do about once a month at the local game store here phantom of the attic um here in pittsburgh so last week i did um bride of the black manse and Mm. the previous right the weekend after gen con i did uh intrigue at the court of chaos um Mm. so i run alongside with uh jim walls uh we each pick a module and run but we're a little short on people i think end of the summer beginning of the school year sort of thing so he ended up getting to be a player for a change and i got to experience the true chaos of having james walls at your table (laughs) (laughs) very cool yeah, my Gen Con was a blast. You know, it was such a difference from my very first Gen Con. Because, you know, 13 months ago, I came to my very first gaming convention. I was a uh, total newbie. Like, this is the, the the Judge Jeff origin story here. And uh, yeah, I come here, and I'm, like, super excited. Like, I see Judge Jen from Spellburn, and I'm, like, totally, like, a total fanboy. And I'm at, like, at the Goodman Games booth, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's Harley Stroh, and there's Doug Kovacs. And like in the course of just one year, you know, I'm now at Gen Con again and I am accepting the Silver Any for Best Podcast on stage alongside Jen on behalf of Spellburn. And I'm like working the Goodman Games booth and like these people who I was like completely uh, starstruck by only a year previously are now like good friends. And uh, some of them are starting to feel like family to me now. And it just I think it's a real testament to just how open and inviting and inclusive the DCC community is that in the course of one year, somebody can go from feeling like a complete outsider to being, to feeling like they're right on like the inside with the cool kids, you know? Um, I I, I love that about us. (laughs) 
So anyways, at the at Gen Con, I uh, ran Museum at the End of Time. I ran The Vile Worm. I ran Elzamon and the Blood Drinking Box. And Julian, my experience with The Vile Worm was a lot like what you were describing as well. I had a family of seven. It was four kids and uh, three parents. And when I first saw that there were four kids at the table, I'll admit, like, I was, I was kind of nervous. And I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm going to make this fun or interesting. And am I going to make sure, am, am I not going to, like end up being inappropriate and like somehow like offend. I don't know. I, as soon as the game started going, I just kind of like let it go. And we had so much fun and I got to play in uh, Thorn Thompson's sky of crimson flame. I got to play in Terry Olson's uh, violence for Vodashal and Brendan LaSalle's please X crawl. Don't hurt him. And it was my first time uh-huh. playing with all three of them as judges and I feel like I walked away with new with with new information and new judging abilities from watching all three of them. Like Thorin Thompson had this really great thing he was doing, where um, when he was uh, when he had a bunch of people attacking his players, he would put a little red token on the players' uh, character sheets so he could keep track of who was fighting what. And I really liked Terry Olson's uh, initiative system. Uh, what he was doing is everybody just kind of rolls initiative. Whoever rolls highest is going first. And then he takes a look at the person on the left and to the right of the person who had the highest initiative. And whoever has the highest from those two determines which direction around the table the initiative moves. So it's really quick. It's really easy. But also rolling high still has some kind of a a benefit that helps you out. And I really liked that. And Brendan LaSalle, we had a total TPK. I guess that's redundant, a total TPK. (laughs) But um, we had a TPK. And one thing I loved about <laughs> Brendan's attitude about it was like, it just made sense. So he just did it and there was no apologies. And I, I just kind of walked away from that being like, you know what? If we do something stupid enough to kill our entire party, then let us die. You know, and I'd really like to embrace that <laughs> the next time I encounter a situation where the players uh, through their own actions, blow up, blow the, up world. the world. Absolutely. <laughs> let them die. Let them die. So, um, so yes. okay, Jeff, Jeff, Please. I gotta ask, was it was it like two hours in, three hours in, four hours? I think hours it was in? about the two and a half hour mark. So yeah, yeah. Brutal. I, some, I think it was about there. I might be wrong. But my highlight of the hmm. Gen Con experience was after Jen and I got the silver any, we um we had our medal to bring to Julian as well, because Julian was running the game, so couldn't actually come. And when we walked into the room where Dungeon Call Classics was being played, there was probably like 100, 200 people in there playing, and it just burst into applause. And we uh, gave Julian his medal, and like we got to take some photos together. And that moment was just really, really beautiful. That yeah. was electric. Thanks, Very guys. special. Just, yeah. the vibe in, uh, just the vibe in that room the whole weekend yes. was awesome. I was not there during, during uh, the event you just described, but I just knew at any moment um, if I was bored or I had 15 minutes, I could swing through there, find somebody I knew, uh, hang out, watch part of a game, jump in a game, whatever. So good on, on all of us, the, the DCC community, for turning in our tickets and doing what we're supposed to do and running so many games that we got a nice pretty centralized space uh and everybody got to be together Heck this year. yeah yeah it, everyone has submitted through goodman yeah it was it was wonderful to see as opposed to okay let's all trudge down to the jw <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> which yeah. was the year before yeah. yeah having having a nice central location that also meant that 
Joseph himself could be over there and, you know, officiate over the, the uh, tournament or at least get it started that morning. And he, yeah, the the whole place was just a whole bunch of like-minded people. It was all a camaraderie. There was no competition, even between other game systems. And no, man, we're all here to play. It's Absolutely. all good. So yeah, it was a completely an amazing experience for me, and I'm excited for my third Gen Con next year. And since I've been back, I have run two sessions from the Sunken City Omnibus. I ran Parallels of the Sunken City and the Ooze Pits of Jonas Grok. Um, I have not had a chance to do my normal uh, Google Plus updates for how those went. I'm, I've been remiss in that, um, but I do plan on doing that, and we are gonna finish up the Sunken City Omnibus. And my BX group, uh, the Strange Ones, we just finished up the, um, oh, I, I always say it wrong. It's the St- Steading of the Hill Giant Chief. That's, that's what it's called. There you go. We just finished that, <laughs> yeah. and that was really fun. So that is, uh, that is my contribution to Tavern Talk. So uh, with that, I think we should move on over to summon email. I call upon the flame to summon you. Who will deliver the message for me? I came here to give you these facts. Summon email. Welcome to Summon Email. In this section, we're going to go ahead and read some emails that were sent to us by our listeners. Uh, Julian, reach into the bag and let us know what you find. All right, here we go. This first one is from Judge Dan. Hi, folks. I'm a longtime listener, but a first-time writer. I have a question about a potential wizard exploit in DCC. Picture this, a wizard casts patron bond, spellburning 20 points for an automatic critical from the comfort of his or her own home. That's a fairly powerful result, and the wizard can recover before going out on an adventure. Why would anyone not spellburn 20 points when casting patron bond, assuming that you had those points? Can a wizard spellburn more than 20 points? Spellburning 32 points, if available would give the wizard the top spell check result for patron bond automatically, which is an extremely powerful result without any risk. How would you stop players from abusing this apparent exploit? One idea comes to mind involving something sinister knocking on the wizard's door before he or she can recover. Any insights or suggestions would be appreciated. Uh, thanks, Judge Dan, London, Ontario. I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to answer this one myself because it's a great question. And I've been so abused as a judge by Trevor Hartman and others over the years. Yeah, so, you have. <laughs> so um, I, will, I will say that uh, I have allowed good, good spell burn amounts on Patron Bond and also some other, uh, I think, like Shield Maiden of Sezrakhan spell, which cast from the comfort of your own home gives you a Shield Maiden for life and all that good stuff. Now, you can still roll a natural one, of course, so no matter what you do. So there's two... Well, in, he, you know, he's saying that you, you can spell burn 20 points and guarantee the automatic critical without rolling because right. that is an optional rule. But I think that's the key. It is an optional rule. The, there's at least three things. So first, we really ought to play that if you roll a natural one, you lose all your spell burn points permanently. Which I, mean, I just, just had happen for the first time at my table just on Sunday. Well, it was only a six-point spell burn, but that's still um, pretty substantial. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, I, th- I think the rule is you only lose one, but um, 
but I think as a house rule, losing more, losing the amount you burn would be an excellent idea. Number two, um, you can use uh, who put him in the last issue of Damn Magazine? Was it Steve? I think it was Steve Newton. Put a put like an extreme spellburn result list in there, and oh, if you if you yeah. do if you use that list. People are going to be very careful about spell burning. Let me just say that because there's things like <laughs> catastrophic heart failure and stuff like that. Number nice three, nice reference, Julian. Oh, thank you. And number three, if you game the system to get an extremely high patron bond result, and you're sitting at home with your three strength, three stamina, and three agility. This is when your pissed-off patron is going to send his minions to extract revenge upon you because he doesn't like to have his system gamed. You know mm. what I'm saying? <laughs> the, you know, he's he's going to, he or she or they or it are, are not going to take well to that at all. And uh, I think you're unbalancing the cosmos a little bit. And I think that patron might vary or, or maybe a rival patron um, is going to exact some uh, vengeance or proactive, uh, preventative uh, taliation upon you and, and so on. So anyway, that's my thoughts. Sorry, a long-winded response. What do you guys think, uh, Jen? Um, I'm going to pass this over to Michael first. Yeah, I I was thinking, um, if you've done all of that spell burn, and um, the text of Patron Bond says that the uh, patron is would expect some gift in return. Um, mm. He's calling on you right now. You did this from the safety of your home. Um, you know, he needs you to go out and, uh, and and find that artifact for him or find that spell that hasn't been discovered yet. Um, he's calling in his favor immediately. So now you've got your spell burn to oblivion wizard out running in the streets. And if you've got a wizard that has high enough strength, agility, and stamina to spell burn that much why did you make a wizard um (laughs) (laughs) for just that reason come on yes 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 it could have been an elf i think i've only i think i've only ever seen one person ever do that natural 20 business and that was to you know nuke the big bad at the end of the module so um i think that in in downtime you can't be guaranteed you got those 20 days for that Spellburn to recover um, before the next cosmic entity comes knocking and causing you problems. Well, and and one point I was going to make is that in some modules, it's actually written in that when faced with a particular artifact, you have the option of right then and there casting Patron Bond, not waiting until you're on downtime, but right there. uh, Tower of the Black Pearl comes to mind. There, there's a moment where you have that option of trying to make this entity your patron, and if you don't cast it right then and there, what you lose out on it. And that's actually a, a fun little thing because it can allow for classes other than wizards and elves to gain that patron. Uh, but I'm not. This is not a book report on Tower <laughs> of Black Pearl, so. <laughs> That would be one more instance of, you know, not spellburning those 20 points. Now, besides page 107, the sacrifice of a full 20 points of ability scores being treated as a, 
a roll of a nat 20, that is an optional rule, as I mentioned before. I, I would recommend to Judge Dan that maybe the people in Ontario use fewer optional rules, maybe, <laughs> to get around that. <laughs> Just an idea. The problem is the problem is spell burning in the metric system. I, I had to reread the failed spellburn section on page 108. I honestly thought if you rolled a one, you lost all of the points you had spellburned. So, um, I mean, certainly losing all of them is kind of a fun house rule, but I honestly thought that was rules as written. And for the most part with my road crew games, I tend to try to run the rules as close to rules as written as possible with very few exceptions. So I just learned something. Um, right. That said, I don't have any problems with somebody spellburning 20 points for their automatic critical and no roll. Uh, but if somebody um, at my table wanted to do that, I would say that's no problem. But you're starting the adventure having just come back from your quest where you went out and you spellburned all this stuff to bond with this patron. So you're starting your adventure with where you're at at the end of that, at, at, at the end of that casting. Um, that's, that's the way I would personally work around it. But I do really like Mike's idea of the the patron demanding payment at that moment and that payment being an adventure that you have to go on. Brilliant. Yeah, that's very nice. And and when you're like, no, no, Cezarkon, I'm too weak and feeble. You know, he's like, all mortals are weak and feeble. You know, what are you complaining? You're all ants. Great. Well, I feel like we've thoroughly covered this email. So I'm going to go ahead and reach in here and grab one. Uh, I've got one here from Keith Haddad. And it says... Uh, Judge Jen mentioned a cafe she went to called Dungeon Games. I was wondering what it's called and where it's at. Thanks. Love the show. Keith. So, um, Mike, do you want to answer this one? <laughs> yeah. It is a wonderful place, I'm sure. <laughs> Nicely played. Um, Dungeon Games is my not-so-local but very friendly gaming store in Estero, Florida. It's between Fort Myers and Naples, uh, both of these towns being ones that I'm sure you've seen on the news in the past couple of weeks. And <laughs> um, it's actually not a cafe, but he does uh, tend to stock plenty of the Kona Monster Java Ooh. drinks for me. And uh, we, we, we love him very much. Uh, Josh and Amy, really great store owners, and they are... Yeah, they totally understand that, yes, magic pays the bills, but the role players also deserve time and space and, yeah, we're their family. So, uh, yes, I, I talk about dungeon games a lot because it's pretty much the only uh, gaming store out here that is still open and available to us. Nice. And as it turns out, they're pretty cool. All right, Jen, would you like to reach in and grab an email? Uh, I got to talk more. Okay. <laughs> Um, oh, this one comes from James August Walls. Yeah. Greetings from the glowing wastes. I <laughs> went for a run today and decided to listen to your interview with Reed Sanfilippo again while making my way through the neighborhood. While reading Reed's inspirations for Crawling Under a Broken Moon, there was a brief mention of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. It's a well-known fact that I love Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and to this day thinks, <laughs> think it gets way too much bad press. I shall forever be hashtag Team Master Blaster. <laughs> Damn it, James. <laughs> 
Anyway, during your very brief discussion, I believe that Judge Julian started to sing We Don't Need Another Hero by Tina Turner. Judge Julian also invited listeners to email in and say how much we liked the singing. Yeah. Guess what? I liked it. Yeah. <sighs> Damn it, Julian. I truly believe that there should be more singing on Spellburn. Rock Lobster! <laughs> <laughs> but knowing that will probably not happen, still fingers crossed, it got me thinking about music. I believe this topic has come up in former episodes of the show from time to time, but since we have a couple of recent additions to the Spellburn Judges J, I shall ask again. What sort of inspirational music do you like to listen to while writing and preparing your adventures? Looking forward to some more Tina Turner tunes from Judge Julian in the future. Judge James. Because I'm a private dancer. Dancer for money, do what you... Right. <laughs> it's beautiful. Right. So, Mike, let's start with you. What kind of music do you like to listen to while you're writing or gaming? I, huh, the, I don't do a lot of music while we're gaming. Um, I found it, uh, unless you're doing soundtrack stuff, um, I found it to be a little distracting. It, it probably depends on my mood at the time. I kind of bounce back and forth between old punk, punk rock and power pop and heavy metal. So I, it, it's, I'm in a heavy punk rock phase right now, so I am probably listening to the Ramones or a Ramones derivative. Um, but uh, it, it can vary depending on what I'm going for. I don't know that I have any specific uh, things that always call out to me as, as gaming music. Sweet. Julian? You know, any it's really anything at all. I I, I mean, I think these days I'm, I listen to a lot of metal, a lot of doom and stuff like that. I'm really, for some reason, um, into Swedish death metal or something. They're all Swedes. Nice. And I'm not seeking these guys out, but it just seemed, and a couple Norwegian bands or something. I don't know. But it, it really, even when I was younger and uh, maybe had more, a little more uh, conventional taste or something, I, I always listened to whatever music I liked at the time while I was doing that stuff. Um, I just, I like music, and anything that puts me in the mood is generally kind of okay. Um, and maybe some weird, like, I remember listening to, like, Frankie Goes to Hollywood and doing adventures and stuff. Like, I know I'm dating myself there, but, um, I mean, it didn't have to be, like, uh, you know, Black Sabbath or something like that. It was really just whatever kind of stuff I was listening to at the time. Okay, what about you, Jeff? Well, I have a, a Spotify playlist called DCC Music that I listen to a lot and kind of constantly. And I, I'm adding stuff and taking stuff off quite a bit. And um, I get a lot of inspiration from that playlist. Um, really, the kind of uh, launching uh, launch pad for that playlist was uh, James McGeorge had a, has a playlist called Witch Metal. And that plus the DCC mm. Music uh, community, if you go to G uh, Google+, there's a community that's just called DCC Music. Uh, those two were kind of my, my big inspirations when I kind of started my little DCC Music uh, playlist that I listen to quite a bit, and, you know, and it's a lot of things like um, it's a lot of like Black Pyramid and Electric Citizen and Jess and the Ancient Ones and things like that. The Oath I've been really getting into them. Christian Mistress I've been having a lot of fun with and listening to. Uh, but like Julian said, I can get inspiration from lots of things. So I can be listening to uh, PJ Harvey or uh, the Carly Rae Jepsen Emotion Record or Big Frida's Bounce. Uh, any of that stuff uh, I can I can get inspiration from and have fun with. Jen? Oh, me? 
Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be boring on this one because, you know, there are days where Mike's playlist would pretty much mirror mine, but there are others where, you know, I'm, I'm constantly listening to something while working. And since I do work from home, I have the same workspace. So there are times when I'm prepping for games where I just want the silence. Or mm. I'll go with something like the uh, the experimental um, brain focus tones. So mm. kind of background undertones that you don't really notice, but they just keep me moving and keep my brain moving. So I'm not going to give a whole lot of playlists and stuff because I feel like I have to do that on another podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> well, Sorry, James, I'm jipping you on that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> you do cover that ground quite a bit. I, I'll be launching a new Kickstarter, Judge Julian Sings Tina, and everybody can, uh, you know, pitch in to have some inspirational uh, DCC creative music. Does it just have to be Tina? Because I'd like to hear you do a little bit of Bad Girls, um, a little oh, bit of hot wow. stuff. Oh, yeah. A little Donna Summer. Yeah. And, uh, Maybe some Diana yeah, Ross Upside Down. Stuff. Oh, the, Diana, I can kill Diana. That That's great. I think I maybe we need stuff. Judge Julian Sings the Disco Divas. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We, we can make it work. Two-volume set. <laughs> mm. What happened? Where did KTEL go? We've lost our <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you guys are nice, we'll even link to it on the Spellburn page. But uh, <laughs> I draw the line at hosting it, man. <laughs> Well, this mailbag is getting heavier and heavier, but for now we have to set it aside and we will uh, dig into it more in future episodes. And f- uh, now we're going to head on over to Mighty Deeds. Let the combat begin! To the death! Why behold our hero? Huh. So you want to play rough, eh? Well, take this! Mighty Deeds. All right, so we've had requests for more episodes focusing on content creation, and we've heard your requests. We're, we're listening. And uh, we have each pillaged three things from our favorite horror films to share with you. Uh, they might be a monster, a setting, a patron, an idea, an adventure hook, or something else entirely. Um, but between the four of us, you're going to end up leaving this episode with 12 like good, meaty ideas that you can insert into your games free of charge. So, um, Mike, as our special guest, why don't we hear your first idea first? All right, I will start um, with the Italian film Demons. Yes! um, Which is um, Lamberto Bava, um, and it is a movie that is about a movie and about a mask. (laughs) The mask um, is featured in the film that is in the film, um, and... uh, (laughs) Yeah. At one point, it's a little meta. <laughs> yeah. At one point, the, there is a demonstration copy of the mask, and someone decides to put uh, put mm-hmm. put said mask on, um, which turns her into a demon. It's one of the greatest uh, special effects scenes as her fingernails <laughs> pop out and her teeth fall out, and the demon teeth and nails come in, and it has one of my favorite lines in any movie ever. When she appears, her buddy says. Holy shit, she's a friend of mine. Um, Nice. It it turns out that this demon um, 
has similar abilities to a zombie. Um, so if the demon attacks anyone, um, they become a demon. And everyone is now trapped inside this movie theater as the demons attack. It features the most heavy metal scene in any movie ever, where a guy riding a dirt bike carrying a katana uh, <laughs> rides through a movie theater while except fast as a shark is blaring. Um, it cannot be topped. Um, but I think in game terms, it would be great um, for... Maybe the maybe that patron that you just burnt uh, twenty uh, spell burn points to commune with sent you off to find find the mask uh, for him or her. Um, imagine if it was a patron level person who was then turned into a demon, um, or maybe it's the local duke or king or something like that. You're now in the royal court, and the king throws the mask mask on, and everybody starts turning into demons. Um, or um, you know, put it, drop it into Beyond the Silver Scream, and then you've got uh, film, uh, game in a film, in a film, in a film. Um, <laughs> you can keep getting deeper and deeper into the cycle. Um, so that was that was my oh. first idea: the mask from demons. Mike, I'm really excited that you included demons in your list because I actually I, I love that movie. I've loved it since high school, but I actually just rewatched it just a couple of weeks ago on Shudder. Uh, so it's pretty fresh in my mind right now, and I can absolutely see that demon transformation. And it's it's gorgeous. I highly I highly second your recommendation. So Julian, what do you, what is your first idea you'd like to share with us? I'm gonna riff on Mike's for a second and just say along those same lines. I hadn't even dreamed of talking about this, but you immediately put me in mind of the transformation, the first transformation scene in American Werewolf in London. And that just, I mean, God, I must have been 13 or 14 or something when I saw that and completely blew my mind. And to this day, when I'm talking about that, when I'm trying to describe that type of thing at the table, I will always think back to the how painful it is and the bones lengthening and breaking and the skin stretch and you know all the how visceral that scene was. Um anyway, a uh, great great moment in uh, horror films. As far as you know horror ideas, I was thinking about uh when I when Appendix H was suggested for this episode, I was thinking about how uh, basic some horror movies are and kind of the sandbox game i i was thinking actually of a of a zombie game that joe judge joe ran a few years ago at gary con it was part of his playtest thing that he was doing at the time and he i think he just wanted to try out the rules so he hands out the characters he does a quick rules thing and then we're basically just in this city and a bunch of zombies attack, and we're trying to get out of. We're basically just trying to sneak, fight, or bargain, or whatever our way out of the city. And there wasn't a lot more to it than that, uh, but it was very immersive and engaging because uh, you were just fighting for survival from the first minute. Um, and but it's yeah, I I remember that. That yeah, was pretty good. Yeah, you might have you might have been in that one with me. I don't know, Jen, but it it. It was funny because it kind of reminded... I was thinking of... Um, I was also thinking of, I think, the first Night of the, Night of the Living Dead is the Romero's first zombie movie. Is that right? Yes. And and I was kind of thinking about those games where, you know, something bad happens, like zombie. It's zombies in these cases, but it could have been any kind of trope like that. You know, 
the it becomes about the character's situation and of course night of the living dead it becomes about the characters themselves and how the baggage they're carrying around is more horrible than the zombies actually which of course <laughs> we relate to more anyway you know i i think there's a lot that can be done with a very simple type of threat where you kind of turn around and make it about the characters. Well, how do you guys respond to this? You can put them in a very tough situation. Um, you know, I, I tried to do this in my Cunning Crown of Magilscar game where there's a there's a thing, a MacGuffin or whatever, and everybody has a reason to want it or to want somebody else to get it or not want somebody else to get it. And, you know, in a, hopefully the adventure becomes kind of secondary to the characters just trying to do their things against the challenge of the environment. And uh, I, I, oh. I, I just like the way, I mean, it all come to, comes back to Job's game for me because it was so bare bones, um, yeah, but it was real compelling and it was really uh, engaging for that four hours because we were just trying to not, you know, have our heads ripped off uh, and that kind of thing. And what I think might be fun in a scenario like that, too, is you guys are in the town and you're running away from zombies and you have to take refuge in a movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> Where they're a showing a zombie movie. movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're not going to like my first idea so much, uh, at least ta- <laughs> dovetailing into that one. Um, I'm really, really struck by one of the end scenes in Bone Tomahawk. I don't know Bone Tomahawk. Oh, God. Uh, it's a, a horror western, you know, n- nice little crossover. Be great for dark trails. Uh, at the end, there, there's an... El- they allude to the fact that they like to, um, well, dismember their captives. And they start from the groin and they go up to the chest. They basically hang people upside down. And you're just going, oh, God, no, this this can't be happening. This isn't happening. Part of it's not on screen, but you're still hearing the screaming and you're hearing the sounds of the cleaver. And you're hearing all of the details. Mm. And even though it's not on stage per se for your game that the idea of having something that horrific and that just psychologically damaging (laughs) happening in the same place as you whether or not you can see it you know perhaps the characters are blinded because it is absolutely pitch black but they hear this going on and that could be either a good way to start something like, oh, uh, the Madhouse Meat, or, <laughs> <laughs> or it could be a hell of an ending like it was for this movie. No, I, I, actually, I like that quite a bit. There's nothing, um, it's a really powerful thing to take away sight in that, you know, to the players, to whether they're actually blinded or in the dark or whether they're just not able to see from a vantage point or whatever um you know oh yeah you could even go with the that initial transformation of the werewolf without seeing it would you still hear yeah the the bristles of the fur growing through the skin yeah 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 
Awesome. And it's just a good reminder to engage all of the senses. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Sound, smell. Creepy like, as they may be, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. These are ways that you can really get your, your players invested in what's happening with their characters. And yours? So one, an, an idea that I brought with me was uh, the 2011 film Cabin in the Woods. Have you guys seen this one? Yeah. Totally. Yep. Okay, so my idea here is kind of finding a way to use this film's premise as an adventure hook. So in the movie, you know, we've got these five college kids who are going out to this cabin in the woods for a good time. And the thing that they don't realize is that there's actually some kind of like possibly like a governmental agency that's kind of running the whole thing. And basically they're setting it up so that these five college kids are going here and they're going to be murdered in this kind of like slasher style sacrifice to the gods. And they all need to die in order for the gods to be appeased. And if this doesn't go off, the gods will rise and presumably crush the earth. And I was thinking it would be fun to kind of take this and turn that in on uh, fantasy role-playing games. Because in the movie, everybody has to fill these kind of like five stereotypical slasher movie tropes. Like you've got like the slutty girl and the jock and the smart kid and the virgin and the comic relief. You know, and in fantasy role-playing game, we've got, you know, the cleric, the thief, the elf, the yeah. wizard. You know, we, we've, we've got these, like, very clear archetypes. And I was thinking that it might be fun to kind of take the premise of Cabin in the Woods, and instead of it being they need to have these characters, character roles fulfilled for the, the horror film, because really when you're watching Cabin in the Woods, it's also kind of clear that it's a commentary on people watching horror films and kind of the the ritualized way in which we like want to watch these people die. And I think it'd be kind of fun to kind of take that meta aspect and turn that on role playing and maybe have it be some kind of like a zero level funnel where your characters are coming in and throughout the course of the adventure, they're taking on these, these different archetypes and be kind of, and becoming the wizard or the warrior or whatever. And spoiler alert about the end of the film is not all of the not all of the characters in the film die and because they don't all die the gods do rise and presumably apocalypse begins and i think how fun would it be if you started off if you had a funnel where you are all being offered up as ritual sacrifices without you realizing it at first and then by the end of the funnel when you do realize it if you guys all decide like you know i'm not dying for this and the gods do rise and start tearing things up, that's like a really exciting beginning to a campaign right there, living in the world where the gods have risen and are destroying things. Hmm. However brief that might be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, you can you can kill a god. I, I did it on, well, two weeks ago, and then got killed for it last, like, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and then you could make a movie about it. And then you could go watch it at the Silver Scream. And <laughs> it can be the double. This can be the double feature with the demon movie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, what else do you have for us? The next one um, is just the entire film Phantasm. Um, <laughs> yeah, everything about uh, yeah. Phantasm. Oh. Um, I'm actually. Um, Look for an adventure related to Phantasm at GaryCon. Because um, I was, I thought about it, and then I went and rewatched it, and I was like, oh, there's a door in that building that takes you to another planet. How DCC of them. Um, <laughs> the, uh, 
you know, if you think of the tall man as a, as a necromancer or technomancer, um, you know, the sentinel spheres have like shrunk, shrunken brains of previous victims in them. He's controlling those. Um, he'd make a pretty awesome patron potentially. Um, and then he's got an army of minions, um, so you've got the, oh, yeah. you know, when he catches somebody and turns them into the little dwarf guys. Um, and then in some of the later films, there's like the demon troopers and zombie guys. Um, and there's a, there's a great, um, there's, they kind of, I like Phantasm 3 and 4 and everything, but um, there, there, there is some interesting like backstory of him possibly being a Civil War doctor um, at some point. Um, so there's some interesting backstory for the, the main uh, bad guy. So I think there's, you can put this in uh, Dark Trails. You can put this in um, DCC. You can put this, a connection to the Purple Planet. Um, Oh, I think uh, I think there's some interesting stuff there. Um, it's basically already a zero level funnel because you've got like the dirt bike kid and the ice cream man, um, <laughs> and uh, you know the uh, the the uh, nosy older brother sort of thing. So we've got um, uh, a lot of options to kind of pull from there and you can do anything you want with those sentinel spheres they they've got blades drills lasers all kinds of stuff depending on how the technology advanced in the different films i'm hearing a little bit of uh metamorphosis alpha in there too yeah certainly Mm. Mm. or mcc all of the above yeah if flavors yeah (laughs) yeah i think it would just be really cool to have a new um undertaker in town in in like a dark trails game um it happens to be the tall man so people start disappearing and you're you're sent off to investigate what's been going on at the at the funeral home um or you've noticed something so i think you could do some pretty cool stuff with it nice i will say that uh when you mentioned metamorphosis alpha it occurred to me in a flash that uh Every Jim Ward game is basically a horror movie in which you're going to die. So it's very much sort of a survival horror type uh, thing. So it would be very appropriate to bring that to Met Alpha. It might not sound like a good match initially. (laughs) But in fact, if Jim was running the game, your chances are not good. It'd be great for a convention game. Oh, yes. Yeah. Maybe not if you wanted to continue playing next week. <laughs> well, yeah. Jim doesn't really care about that anyway. He probably just... No. Yeah. <laughs> so what's on deck for you next, Julian? I'm a little bit obsessed just because I've been uh, watching, along with a few million other people, the new uh, Twin Peaks Season 3, or whatever you might call it. Yes. And... Hmm. Um, it's, you know, surreal and really strange, uh, full of uh, sort of a pseudo-magic and occult-type stuff that's totally not derived from Lovecraft or, or any other kind of existing mythos that I'm aware of at all. Um, and it has been adapted in a few little ge- you know games here and there. I've seen uh, some references to it. Um, I, I think there's just tons and tons of great stuff that you could uh, adapt from it. Um, but I think the f- most, the thing that really appealed to me as I was pondering this in, over the last few days was there's a, uh, Twin Peaks is like a little town in Washington State, 
and it's real boring and you know everybody's nice and blah 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 except for the people who killed Laura Palmer and you know but anyway <laughs> um but it's you know there's this weird extra dimensional kind of layer almost like stranger things and the upside down but you know of course this was like 25 years ago or whatever but um but the, there's this weird extra dimensional black lodge is what they call it the black lodge where agent cooper the sort of the protagonist eventually finds his way into and it's it's this really strange super surreal place where everybody talks backwards and it's not very linear in any sense of that word but um and sometimes good stuff comes out of there sometimes bad stuff comes out of there uh it's very uh it's hard to tell at any time which what you know what's going on but i thought doesn't always seem to be a you know like somebody in control and command of it but it would be a great patron I thought you could actually, any place that's horrible enough and seems to have some kind of property like that could actually itself be a patron. It can bestow power. It can make you do stuff. And, uh, and you know, I just thought that would be an interesting uh, take on that particular mythology. That's great. And Julian, have you finished Twin Peaks The Return yet or no? Yeah. I uh, Since I was traveling, I had to wait uh, two weeks for that last episode. But, okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well well worth it. Yeah, I think so too. And I think there's a lot of potential patrons in there as well. I mean, I think uh, Zhao Day slash Judy would be a great patron. Um, also, of course. P- Peter, uh, is it Peter Jeffries? That's his name, right? Philip. Philip Jeffries, Philip thank you. Philip Jeffries, yeah. Philip Jeffries. So in, in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, Philip Jeffries was played by David Bowie. And David Bowie, who is no longer with us, um, is clearly not playing Philip Jeffries in Twin Peaks The Return. So instead, in Twin Peaks The Return, Philip Jeffries is a gigantic teapot. (laughs) And when you ask it questions, the answers uh, slowly kind of answer from the spout of the tea kettle um, and form words. (laughs) That's infuriating. (laughs) And amazing and beautiful and stunning and terrifying. And it sounds as silly and hokey as it sounds. It's actually highly, highly effective. And I think something like that would also be really fun in a DCC game. In addition to that, yeah. I feel like Lynch is so good at introducing mysteries that either aren't going to be solved or aren't meant to be solved. And I think it's a nice reminder that it, it can actually be fun and compelling storytelling to not solve every mystery. You know, your, your, your players might not figure everything out, and I think that's okay. And to allow for that, I think shows a lot of respect for your players as uh, participants in the story. You know, I, I think it's important. You don't need to spoon feed them everything, you know, and they might not, they might not get everything and they might not piece everything together. And I think that's okay. At least for me in the style of play that I'm interested in, I think that's okay. And I think Lynch does a really nice job of kind of reminding us of that. I like it. I like that a lot. Absolutely. I just, I, I'm going to break from that for one second to say, David Bowie himself would be an excellent patron. But which incarnation? Which incarnation? Because I feel like he himself is like seven or eight different patrons. It depends on what, how high you roll on patron bond. Ooh. Maybe you get all of them. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. You might you might get uh, you might get Ziggy Stardust. You might get the what is it the 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 white what what, what the thin the, the white? thin white Duke. The thin white Duke. Yes. yes. <laughs> I only rolled thirteen. I got dancing in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> right. I got the I got the goofy guy on roller skates with the mullet. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's exactly. Yeah, I, 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 oh. Okay. So I'm gonna dive back in time a little bit more, and uh, my next choice is gonna come from 1964's. Mask of Red Death. Ooh. Uh, it's another Roger Corman directed film starring Vincent Price, so it's kind of funny that you mentioned The Raven earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in The Mask of Red Death, uh, they have this elaborate ballroom scene and then all of these little side chambers that are kind of interconnected, but each one is themed a different color. And it, it's something that I, I read, oh, what, October before last. And it's just so stuck with me because the drapes, the candelabras, the wall coverings, everything was fully themed black and then red and then purple and then yellow, you know, in this monochromatic room. And the minute he walks into the next room, there's just a different feel to it. And perhaps different abilities are more enhanced than in the black room. You go into the yellow room and suddenly things are nice and sunny and and fire can just fling up from the candles with a gesture. And it just really struck a chord with me on that one. And it, it... went with the visuals as opposed to well, the no visual audio cues. And I thought we needed something a little lighter hearted. You got bone <laughs> tomahawk. You need to lighten up the field here. So, and actually going in with the, uh, the red room. I mean, maybe Lynch's red room is part of that. Who knows? Mm. I like that. See, I, I can tie things together. <laughs> Absolutely. So my next idea is um, a little different. It's from 1971. It's a Spanish horror film called Tombs of the Blind Dead. Uh, have any of you seen that one? Yep. One of my favorites. Yes. One of my favorites, too. And there's a couple of different things you can take from Tombs of the Blind Dead and incorporate into your DCC game. Uh, but basically, in Tombs of the Blind Dead, you've got this uh, this Spanish woman ends up finding these old ruin- ruins and stays the night there. And she doesn't survive the night. And her friends go and they try to find out what happened to her. And uh, what had happened to her was that these blind zombies who were who were satanic knights templar in the in the medieval ages had risen up and they climbed onto their zombie horses and they kind of rode around and killed her so um but in the movie there's this really fun um there's this really fun flashback where the people who are investigating what happened, they go to the town and they talk to this librarian and they do a little bit of research and they have kind of like a, like a kind of a Call of Cthulhu research role. And they <laughs> manage to find out the backstory of the Knights Templar in this area. And, you know, they were these satanic knights who ruled over the village 
And right there, I feel like that could be another zero level funnel where what, what you are rising up against isn't some some new thing where it's like, oh, our our children are going missing or, oh, people are going missing or, oh, this new monster is here. It might be you're rising up against oppressive overlords who've been oppressing you your whole life. But now finally, you guys are just finished with it because what ended up happening to the Knights Templar in the movie is that the, the, the peasants did rise up against them. And then there was a, uh, a trial and then they were, they were hanged and then their eyeballs were pecked out by the, by the, by the crows. Uh, but also if you don't want to use that aspect of it, if you just want to use the blind dead as your, as, as, as monsters to incorporate in your game too, they're also just cool. Just like knights, zombie knights riding undead horses. It's pretty sweet. Uh, what, one thing I never quite figured out though in the film is you, you watch the, the undead, you watch the zombie knights Templar kind of crawl out of their graves, but then when they do, their dead horses are just kind of standing there. So I'm not sure if there's like a stable full of dead horses somewhere or if they like hoofed their way out of the grave as well, or if they just kind of materialize once the Knights Templar kind of crawl out of the earth. But you don't need to overthink it, or maybe you maybe you can figure out where the where the horses come from in your world. I was gonna say the connection uh, between a paladin and his horse, right? I mean, yes, that could that could easily be the horse is summoned. It doesn't matter that it's uh, been dead for four hundred years. That's a great point. And in nice. when I played Spirit of Seventy Seven with Edgar Johnson, your character has your one—I forget what it's called. I think it's your one unique thing or your your one thing. And you can decide what the one thing that you have is that you will never lose. So it might be your lucky guitar. It might be your your gun. Uh, when I was playing it, I was playing this like occult woman who like would never lose her black cat. Uh, so maybe your one thing is your undead horse. It's always nice. there when you need it. I think it would be fun to do that. I was just thinking you've got a kind of mid-level campaign that comes across those ruins and they're coming back but for that flash and that flashback scene you actually drop in a night where they're playing back at zero level characters 200 years prior or whenever so you've give people that opportunity to play a funnel that doesn't really matter right in the middle of your campaign that's really fun you need that break from fifth level characters hmm that's a, like giving them the chance to play the the villains briefly. Oh yeah, you could do. I would say they would just play the villagers yeah. two hundred years oh. ago, but fighting them off. Um, so when you go to instead of just giving them the flashback, you actually play through the flashback. That's a really hmm. fun idea. I like where you went with that. Or they could play the part of the blind undead mm. in yeah. all of that as well. So many directions yeah. we can Which, take this could really confuse them (laughs) it'd be really cool if they could find something out like you're basically go and they're scrying or doing some kind of time adjustment spell to see back in time and they can learn something about how to defeat the undead version based on what they did as zero level care or what the villagers did in this flashback part so it serves some purpose um give some hint to like what's keeping them alive or what's bringing keeping their soul in place or whatever oh yeah they're they're playing out the vignette yeah nice instead of just feeding them the here's the MacGuffin to take them down they you kind of discover it in play or something so nice yeah that that's a thing of beauty yeah I like that a lot 
So Mike, what is your final idea for us this evening? This one's specifically for, for you, Jeff, because um, we talked about it in Texas. <laughs> I was really um, hoping you were going to do this because I, I almost did. But then I'm like, you know what? I think Mike's going to do it, so I'll let him do it. Oh, I don't even know which one because I, there was two things I talked to you. Oh. But I'm doing Street Trash. Was that the one you were oh, expecting? No, were I, you expecting Chopping Mall? No, I was thinking it might <laughs> oh. be Mystics in Bali. Oh, Mystics and Bali would have been good too. Oh. So many, so many directions we can take this, but please, I'm excited Appendix, to hear. <laughs> Appendix H, Volume Two. We've got another whole list. Exactly. Um, so, um, so yeah, I just I thought of Street Trash. Um, has anyone besides Jeff and I seen Street Trash? <laughs> You're probably better Crickets. off. <laughs> yeah. Um, Street Trash is an uh, early '80s film made in New York, um, and it is um, definitely trash. Um, <laughs> the uh, its its biggest, I think, claim to fame is the one of the camera operators on it actually became a steady cam operator and did things like Terminator Two and stuff later, and has won a bunch of awards. Um, its second him. biggest claim to fame is that the guy that stars in Frankenhooker is also in it. Um, <laughs> I think that's about mostly what's known about it but um in the film a less than reputable merchant uh discovers a crate of uh of uh long forgotten alcohol uh stuck in it back behind a bunch of other crates in his liquor store it's called viper um and and most of the plot of the movie is one guy trying to get to drink his viper um (laughs) and uh throughout the the film different people manage to get their hands on bottles of viper because it's very cheap um and uh they either melt or explode from drinking it so i thought it um how often do characters you know pick up a potion somewhere find it in a dusty vault buy something from an you know less than reputable merchant or bartender or crazy confused old wizard um and they just kind of have it in their pack thinking it's one thing um and then you know i was thinking instead of making them explode we could make uh, corruption rolls, um, or there's some Aww. percent chance that maybe you only get corruption. Um, and if you fail a check, you might explode or melt or deteriorate. Um, so um, I think nice. that that's fun. It just is an object that is out in the world, and and not everything is what it is labeled, basically. Um, and maybe if you're very, very lucky, you can roll on the MCC mutations table and get something good. But for the most part, it's just going to be horrific. Yeah, yeah. There's um, <laughs> a lot of opportunity there. Um, oh, you can actually use the, uh, is this weapon lucky, or is this item lucky? Uh, the rules from, I think it was Crawl... Issue two, okay, yeah. the magic items and everything, where you had like a one one in one hundred chance that the item might be lucky, and then after that, it's another one in one hundred chance that it might also be magical. Mm. So yeah, you could get corruption, or you could burst into flames. <laughs> and as a zero level character, either one is likely to suck, but it'll make for a great game. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's um, there's also some there's like you know it's following this main character through as he's trying to drink this bottle of Viper and it just keeps getting taken off of him. People interrupt him. I think there'd be some interesting things to put attached. Having carrying that bottle causes. Um, negative interactions. People are always trying to pickpocket it from you. I'm just imagining the party fighting to get this thing back that's going to kill one of them. Um, (laughs) Because they don't quite know what it does yet. Uh, But it seems important. (laughs) Oh, that is a brilliant funnel. 
Oh, I like that yes, idea a lot. Likewise. All right, Julian. Um, you know, I was uh I was thinking a lot about the about the movie Event Horizon and if I recall it correctly, the the whole idea at the but as you sort of figure out at the end was that they the the scientist has kind of invented this warp drive or whatever and when they so it's a science fiction movie and the, when the spaceship finally goes out there and they're trying to use the warp drive they find that they it's actually it's allowed what they think is some kind of hyperspace or whatever something as innocuous as hyperspace <laughs> Julie, hit the hyperdrive is actually like that's actually bleeding hell into the mortal universe and the spaceship is taken over by demons and they begin to have all these horrible experiences and stuff. And um, and it's actually a little bit like, um, or maybe a lot like the Warhammer 40k um, idea of the warp and stuff, right? Which is, you know, oh, inhabited yeah. by demons and so on. So I it made me think about, um, you know, what if every time... Uh, you know, a wizard is teleporting people or dimension dooring or doing any kind of extra planar movement like that. You're, you're actually in that similar sense. You're, you're, you know, you're, you have to go through this demon zone or this hell plane to do that stuff. You're stepping into hell and then stepping back into the mortal coil so that, so that every time you're doing this, you're attracting the attention of, dark powers and maybe losing sanity or personality um just to put a little flavor on that type of movement or travel or what have you uh you could maybe check like the phlogiston disturbance table or something that's that's got fun results yeah and it's a table that is not used enough right for sure for sure or you could have a a one percent chance to attract the notice of a oh. dark patron, which which could lead to an interest, you know, which could even be good if you were a similarly aligned type character. Or of course, it could be very unfortunate. Or you could just like bring a horde of, you know, mindless, brainless, you know, flesh eating devils back with you when you step out of your dimension door to backstab someone or whatever you know i don't know you and your devils <laughs> i you know yes you might attention attract the attention of mantacrux for instance <laughs> not the mantacrux oh boy yeah uh i'm still seeing all of this happening in silver scream now Thanks, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great adventure. Oh, man. Okay, well, to take things in a slightly different direction, um, there's a a film from 2014 called The Reconstruction of William Zero. And it's more of a psychological horror. Uh, essentially, a geneticist wakes up from an accident, and he only has fragments of his memory, and he's forced to relearn who he is, with the help of his twin brother and some videos that have been left for him. But as it turns out, the original guy is just so sick of his life that uh, he's been cloning himself. Hmm. And every experiment has gone wrong. Hmm. And so I thought it might... It could actually tie in a little bit to Glipcario's Gambit, if you're familiar with the ending. Um, But 
it could also be interesting for the players to encounter a, a villain, or at least somebody who looks exactly like that villain, but he doesn't know what's going on. And so maybe he actually, I don't know, entrusts the, the PCs to help him figure out this, his backstory and go after the actual villain. Or, you know, by that same token, all of the PCs are simply clones mm, of cool. one person. So here's your four characters. You're right. The stats are the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you actually start in the lab. Um the, uh, something's happened to the guy that's been cloning you. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so these people that are coming after, well, all of you, um, you, it's up to you to figure out why. What did your creator do in the beginning, and and why are you hunted? Hmm. Yeah, it 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 is definitely a, a different direction than just the the visual cues and whatnot, but it was one of those that really stuck with me after we watched it. Like, really, really. And there's some cool visuals to it, but... Nice. Well, my final idea for the evening is from Hellbound Hellraiser 2. And it, <laughs> in Hellbound Hellraiser 2, in the end, Julia and... Um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Dr. Chalfont? Or Sh no, that's Chalfont is from uh, Twin Peaks. Um, I'm forgetting his name right now, but Julia and the, the evil doctor end up going to hell. And in hell, they see this gigantic, long, thin, floating eight-sided dice. And this dice is apparently uh, Leviathan, Lord of the Labyrinth. And uh, Leviathan, Lord of the Labyrinth, I think would be a really, really cool patron. And what Leviathan, Lord of the Labyrinth does is uh, he, she, it, they, it's this, uh, it's this, this demon, or I'm not even sure what it is. It's, it's an entity that rules all of hell, this section of hell, this particular brand of hell. That's not super clear. But this thing is the thing that creates the Cenobites. And, um, and the Cenobites, if those of you who don't know the Hellraiser franchise, those are the kind of the demons who are walking around. Pinhead is a Cenobite. All the rest of these are Cenobites. And there's not a lot known about this patron other than when Julia and this doctor see it and like have some really cool lines of dialogue about it. And the rest of the franchise never really brings this thing up again. But apparently there was also a comic book series in the late 80s, early 90s that did explore Leviathan some more. And in this comic book series, apparently they 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 outlined a little bit more about Leviathan. And apparently he's this like really like intensely lawful uh, God who absolutely hates the chaos of flesh. He this 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 demon or god or whatever feels that like humanity and flesh is just this chaotic, disgusting thing that needs to be tamed and controlled. And you do that through through pain and through pleasure. And just thinking about how like the Cenobites and the Hellraiser franchise and this particular brand of hell is so like based on like sadomasochism and and cenobites i think you could come up with some really fun patron spells around this too like maybe like the first patron spell could be some kind of spell that allows you to like unlock the masochistic tendencies that lie within the person you cast it on so when you cast it on them they suddenly they start uh hurting themselves in really kind of outlandish bizarre ways and maybe you could have it 
that's dark. <laughs> I know, right? And you could have another spell where maybe you just kind of summon a Cenobite of some sort. But maybe the the third patron spell could be like a Cenobite transformation spell where you where you can become kind of your own realized Cenobite yourself. I, th- I think there's a lot of really fun and interesting things you could do with this particular entity as a patron in your campaign. Yeah, I think there's some good connection to um, for role playing your uh, spell burn for that patron. <laughs> yes. Um, oh. Chains appear out of the walls and start like ripping off chunks of your flesh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's just some requirement around like certain results. Like if you did the spell burn before this roll, then it's amplified this way. Um, rather than if you just cast it straight, it's maybe this more pure version of it, but you can pull in this um, kind of extra level if you're willing to burn down your stats ahead of time. I think that's a really great addition to that idea. Yeah, you just have to be careful who you would cast spells like that on. I I would not recommend PvP. (laughs) (laughs) It may depend on what, what that person gets out of it. You know, there may be some other bonuses depending on how far they take the that spell. So um, I can that, imagine that's, that that is true. You know, if I were to run this back in Vegas, thing, yeah, all bets are off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, this has been a really fun, really successful segment. I think uh, let's head on over to Patron Bond, where we can discuss this a little bit further and wrap this up. Who are you? Your new lord and master. What orders from mortal, my lord? Oh, don't trouble. One thing I can't stand, it's people groveling. Patron Bond. All right, so here we are in Patron Bond. We're going to go ahead and just kind of briefly discuss uh, what we think the value of ripping ideas from horror films in our games. Yeah, and what our experience has been kind of doing this exercise. So do you guys have any kind of immediate thoughts you would like to share? Um, I love it. I think horror is... Um... <laughs> No, I, I think horror is more Succinct. appendix N than um, fantasy in a lot in mo- in many ways, and I mean the the way that Lovecraft kind of informs and sets the tone of it, it which could probably be overstated, but when you think about um, how close Howard was to him in many ways, even though you know he writes so differently and Conan stories are very different. But that general kind of that existential horror of of Cthulhu mythos and that sort of thing, it's uh, you know that that old sword and sorcery stuff and horror are are very cl- tightly bound together. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I think especially from a cinematic perspective, I feel like horror has. Um, and we we covered a lot of the different subgenres of horror. I I stuck mostly to pretty trashy stuff, and other people went with a little bit more intellectual. But I feel like it has that. Um, it stayed a little bit more true to its connection. Uh, a lot of the fantasy that that gets filmed is 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 where we're seeing a more high fantasy version, not the appendix N um, kind of rough and tumble version. Uh, Yeah, I found this experiment to be a a really fun exercise. You know, I feel like horror films are just so ripe for the picking. And I even had a really hard time just picking three things to focus on, you know, because I was also thinking about like from beyond and how there's that device that summons other crazy creatures and you could have magic items that did something like that. 
or like the abominable Dr. Fibes where like you've got Vincent Price, who's this big crazy person who's like enacting the seven spells of is uh, the seven curses of Israel against people, but they're not really, he doesn't really curse anybody. He's actually just kind of going through and manually like making these curses happen or like, uh, on a really, really lame and trashy level, there's this movie called Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. And it's this horrible, horrible movie what? that I love. And it's the entire movie is just, it's a horror movie about a bed. And the bed can't walk or do anything. So the entire movie, you're just like, they're setting up scenes for new people to go and just lay on this bed. And then you slowly watch them get eaten. Uh, but I, I just think having Deathbed, The Bed That Eats in some room in your castle could be fun too. Uh, there's just so many ideas in horror, film that, horror films that I think mesh so nicely with Dungeon Crawl classics. Well, now is definitely the season that a lot of the classics are going to be airing. So we can go chew up all of those. As far as bringing them to the games, I think statting certain things up and, you know, inserting it into an existing game or even just making your con game all about, say, Phantasm. That, to me, is great. We just have to kind of skirt that line. You know, if you ever want to try to write something about it, it can't quite be that blatant, I don't think. But you have to make it an homage, right? You have to scrape off some serial numbers. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Uh, you, you have to change the name of Conan to Kothar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, uh, funny, Jeff. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, especially just having watched The Raven, did a show about it. Uh, <laughs> a great show about it. It, it was, uh, it kind of sparked all of that. Yeah, I, I would love to get go through the catalog again of everything with Vincent Price, everything with Christopher Lee. There's just not that kind of time in the world. But the things that we do see, we kind of mentally catalog those, and I think they find their way into the games either way. You know, whether we consciously sit here and, and tell you about it, or if we just draft something up real quick to take to a con game you're going to see the influence of what we've been watching. It's an awesome, awesome thing. And I would like to put in a quick plug for an, uh, a horror streaming service called Shudder. Uh, I believe Shudder is only $4.99 a month, but they have, uh, they have, they have horror film, or they have horror curators who really select some fantastic, amazing films. So if you're looking to kind of beef up your horror movie watching, or if you're a horror fan and you just want to have access to some really fantastic horror movies, I highly recommend checking out Shudder. And I swear they're not giving us money. This is just something that I personally love and I would love for other people to also have <laughs> access to. So I'll, yeah. end, I'll end it there. <laughs> yeah, back up on... I mean, my roommate has, a, has an account on there and we're always surprised at the stuff that they have on there. Um, mm -hmm. It's a great mix um, covering modern um, back through, um, you know, 70s and 80s classics and even older stuff. So it was a pleasant surprise. Because if you wanted to go and rent these on Amazon and, and watch all the movies that the four of us have spoken about tonight, you're probably going to be spending about four ninety nine a piece on them. Where with Shudder, they're going to have most of the movies that we've talked about, and it's going to be four ninety nine for a month. It's the it's the curating that makes the difference because, I mean, you have to be selective. Not every movie can be deathbed, <laughs> the bed that eats. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Nor can every movie have such a uh, such an award winning title as Deathbed, the bed that eats. <laughs> it's so evocative. 
That's what I'm not I'll, sure what it's evoking. That's but. what I'll be thinking about when I go to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tucking your feet in under the covers ain't going to help this time. <laughs> all right. Well, I, th- I, I imagine that that's probably all we have for tonight. Unless, do you guys have anything else that you would like to add before we wrap this up? Hey, I wanted to just say that, uh, you know, unfortunately, I haven't even got to this in my uh, listening yet, but I heard that... Uh, Ken Height and Robin Laws gave us a uh, congratulations for a silver any, and I thought that was pretty cool as they were they were the gold winners, right? And have been for a couple of years for the f- fifth, fifth or sixth year running. Yeah, um, yeah fourth or fifth. So, so, so uh, yeah. Congrats to them for uh, winning gold again. And uh, what I mean, as if the whole thing wasn't enough fun to just to be mentioned in the same breath with Robin Laws and Ken Height is is pretty amazing. I mean, as a big Pelgrane fan, that's uh, that's a lot of fun. So congrats to them. I wanted to make sure we add that in before we uh, adjourn. Yeah, and I'd also like to throw in a big congratulations to Mike Evans, who also won the silver that night for Hubris. He won for Best Electronic Book. So that was our other, our other big DCC win for the night. Spellburn yes. and Mike Evans with Hubris. Yes, and and we we really need to mention hubris when we're talking about horror inspired DCC. I think too. Oh, yes, God. yes. <laughs> and also, just remind everybody that silver is the new gold. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Is there anything you would like to say before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I just thanks uh, for having me on. I've been a listener since the beginning, so um, and an oca- very occasional letter writer. So getting to be able to participate, uh, even though my name doesn't start with a J, was great. Um, and uh, you know, if if uh, Appendix H Volume Two needs to come out in uh, 2018 or something, you know, I, I, uh, I'm willing to come back. <laughs> I, I'm a strong proponent for that. As am I. All right. So if you want to send us an email or. Ask ask us any questions at all feel free to contact us at the band at spellburn.com and um yeah thank you for listening uh would you guys like to say anything before we take off thanks again guys you all rock game on and uh, we're gonna be back in force a lot more regular for the rest of the year so we look forward to your emails and uh i hope you look forward to hearing from us all right later gators You've been listening to Spellburn, copyright 2017. Our theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.fancamp.com.